Welcome to the Park Road Podcast for November 25th, 2018. Today's podcast is a sermon given by Russ Dean, co-pastor with Amy Jackstein at Park Road Baptist Church. His sermon today is entitled, The Final Word is Not Ours. didn't hear the word of the Lord this morning. Monty and Terry and Whit and Bennett, thank you. We have spent this fall with some of our Bible's Hebrew texts asking what it means to have a good life. I began writing yesterday sitting in a local coffee shop. There were four guys there reading the paper, enjoying their cup of joe, laughing and talking together. They appeared to be a Saturday morning foursome. There was a lot of football chatter and conversation about work and the club and the family, my wife, yada, yada, yada. It was delightful jabber between four guys who are obviously living the good life. But living the good life and living a good life are not the same thing. Now probably everyone here is living the good life. Probably no one here has to worry about necessities We have the disposable income to spend $2 for a nickel's worth of decaf, if not $5 plus for a pumpkin spice half-calf latte, and we can afford lazy Saturday mornings talking about how to set up the home security system after you get rid of the landline and complaining about your cell phone bills and other first world problems. That's living the good life. Add a little elbow grease and some good decisions to the tides of fate, and you can have it. Or you can just be born into it, just luck into it along the way, joining the psalmist with a praise in the passive tense, the boundary lines have just fallen for me in pleasant places. But the good life that just falls our way An easy life, a financially comfortable life, a life of leisurely Saturday morning lattes is not the good life we've been talking about. Now, I'm not judging yesterday morning's coffee mates. My guess is that they have all worked hard. They are probably all honest, hard-working citizens. Maybe they're even all in church today. I doubt it, but maybe. I'm just making the point that comfort sometimes just comes our way. But the Bible never calls us to, nor does it ever affirm living the good life. The Bible calls us to a good life, which requires thoughtful, intentional, right, faithful, good living. Good living is not always comfortable. And it is seldom convenient. A good life never just falls our way. There are a lot of retired people living the good life, but no one retires from living a good life. This fall, we have invited you to consider your life. Are you living a good life? Are you just riding the tide? taking what comes your way, hoping the lines fall for you in pleasant places, or are you living in a way that makes meaning 
Living a good life is always active, intentional. A life of purpose, a living that makes a difference, requires a lifetime of work. In the last dozen Sundays, we have suggested some characteristics that are evident of a good life. These characteristics are all nouns. We have not applied the verbs for you. We've not tried to tell you how to achieve a good life. That's your job. We have tried to give you a glimpse of what a good life might look like. The themes that we have discussed do not comprise a definitive list, but surely every good life knows all of these. If you've been gone the last 12 Sundays, here's what you missed. The love poem called The Song of Songs suggests a good life will be a life of passion. Not just sexual passion, but that too. The voice of the ancient Proverbs suggests that integrity and wisdom and hard work are not archaic references, but these qualities remain essential to the contemporary life. The witness of Esther whose moment came for such a time as this is a witness to courage. The unconventional wisdom of Job's story of trial challenges us to live morally upright. This difficult story also calls us to the honest acknowledgement that how we deal with the adversity that comes to every life is an inseparable ingredient of a good life. And the response to adversity is connected to the spirituality that begins in the humility of worship. Job, you see, had pursued God intellectually. He had heard of God, studied and read, argued about God, but life's experience gave him not a degree in theology, but an introduction to faith. I had heard by the hearing of my ear, Job said, but now my eye sees you. Our heads can only take us so far with God. At the deepest level, faith is a movement of the heart. Ruth's powerful story invites us to consider the influence we all have and the legacy we will leave, especially as, the, as we consider a willingness to risk something big or something good. And finally, the story of Hannah suggests to us that patience truly is a virtue. In our world of instant gratification, yet another biblical story of a long-desired pregnancy teaches us that waiting and trusting may point us to God. Passion, integrity, wisdom, hard work, courage, moral uprightness, adversity, spirituality, humility, legacy, risk, patience? Are you living a good life? Disciplined thinking about the makings of a good life has throughout human history been the almost exclusive endeavor of religious communities. Yes, there are moral secularists, kind and good atheists, but no other institution has in the past or in our present been invested in inviting a people to consider collectively how we might live together. 
As our society grows more and more secular, it is worth our time to ask the question, where will the children of a secular society learn such values? It has always been the vocation of the church, I say church in a generic sense in whatever tradition it is expressed, and it remains the vocation of the church to call individuals to connect their own living with a broader picture. So it is essential that we engage this conversation as the church always has in community. Because of that reality, the worship of God is indispensable. Even many atheists have agreed with this assertion, perhaps following in the footsteps of Socrates, who famously decried belief as a noble lie, an untruth nonetheless essential to the health of the community. Now, Socrates was wrong about God, but he was right about the nobility of gathering to worship. The collective gathering of a people dedicated to listening now for the word of the Lord, as we say it every Sunday. Listening in prayer and in praise, listening in proclamation and in practice may be the best, may be the only way to teach a people selfless living across an entire culture. Who will teach our children if the church goes away? So as is often the case, we end where we begin in the worship of God. As a means of self-reflection and a motivation to the common good, to a social justice. We begin listening now for the word of the Lord, and we end, the final word is not ours, but the Lord's. The first Sunday that Amy and I were in worship as your pastors, Dr. Donald Mitchell, the interim pastor, was preaching, but during that Sunday school hour, Marin Bingle, who had chaired the pastor search committee, asked us to offer the benediction Sitting over there in what used to be the pastor's office, we scratched out some words that will probably stay with us until we die. Most of you can say them with us as we walk out the aisles every Sunday. We have spoken the same benediction that we hastily crafted in that office over there. We've said those same words every Sunday for 18 years. And that morning, standing here before you, we said something extemporaneously like, well, we've heard some good words today, but the final word is not ours, but the Lord's. So hear this good word of benediction as we go. We say it every Sunday, but it is worth exploring. Does God really get the final word? Now, human beings are held in a good bit better light from this pulpit than from many pulpits which emphasize human depravity, our fallenness and failure, our hopeless, helpless way apart from God. On the contrary, from this pulpit, you will hear a consistently good word about the power and potential of the human creature. We are created in the image of God. And Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Those are powerful words. And Jesus called us to do even greater things than he has done. Those are his words. 
As co-creators, God has placed much in our hands. We are the caregivers of the earth itself to till and keep it. And just as God was in Christ reconciling the world, Jesus has bequeathed this calling to his disciples, entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. God has placed much in our hands. So is the final word actually not ours? What will be our last words, our lasting words? When we are gone, what will continue to speak? Or will we continue to speak? David, the great king, can give us some insight. He was the singing shepherd boy, you remember, who defeated mighty Goliath. He was chosen not by Saul, but by God to unite the nation. And God made with him an eternal covenant. David was the greatest king in all of Israel's history, right? Well, as we have received it, yes. Though archaeology may give us a different insight. One would assume that David's name and hand would be found in traces all across the nation of Israel. He was the unifier of the monarchy from Dan to Beersheba. But in all of the years of archaeological research, in all of the digs, in all of the finds across the entire nation of Israel, there is but one lone reference to the house of David. In the millions of unearthed shards and artifacts, just one reference to the house of David. One stela, a stone marker, erected by a braggadocious Ammonite king, has been unearthed. And the inscription on that stela hails this king's conquest of the northern kingdom of Israel and the defeat of the southern kingdom of Judah and the death of both of those kings. And this marking on this one stone alone in all the words found buried across time in Israel, this one stone alone refers to the house of David. And even those words are contested Scholars cannot agree what the word house means. Does the word refer to a nation? Does it imply the kingship of a powerful sovereignty? Do not let it trouble you that it is possible Israel's greatest king was actually more myth than man, more fable than fact, more legend than actual life. Who knows? History is always an uneasy mix of fact and fiction, always written posthumously, looking back, told by someone with the power of the pen. You know, did George Washington actually have wooden teeth? And did he chop down that cherry tree? And did the pilgrims celebrate a great feast, gathering with all those friendly Indians, holding hands and singing Kumbaya before offering thanks to God? How do we know our history? And how do we separate fact from fiction? Do not let it trouble you that in the actual history of it, the man David might not match up to his story. What matters is what lasts. And what lasts with David is the witness of a man 
terribly flawed, ordinarily finite, who was yet known as a man after God's own heart, whose sinful life paves, paves the way for even you and me to be known as such. If David can be called a man after God's own heart, who among us cannot be? What matters is what lasts. Nearly 3,000 years after he breathed his last breath, his last words are still offering testimony to God, the God who stoops to work with flawed human beings. What matters is that David's last words still give testimony to a forgiveness so unthinkable it must be divine. What matters is that David's enduring testimony is a praise, not of the crushing power of some deity from on high, but the justice that uses the meek and unifies the masses. We can proclaim in faith that the final word is the Lord's, for only God is eternal. But as a very practical reality, the lives we live our very words, our own deeds, shape that conversation. And in the mix of forces beyond our control, our last words can outlive us by many generations. What will be your last words? Your lasting words. Maybe you too will speak a good word for God in life and in death. The Spirit of the Lord speaks through me, one who rules justly. Ruling in the fear of God is like the light of the morning. For last and lasting words, may it be so. We invite you to learn more about Park Road at parkroadbaptist.org. Park Road is a progressive faith community located in Charlotte, North Carolina, encouraging independent thought, community service, social justice, and interfaith understanding. Today's podcast was produced with production help from Hugh Ashcraft, Brian Smith, Bruce White, and Rich Dower. Our theme music was composed by Brandon Michael Williams. Thanks for listening today. Grace and peace to you.